Welcome, everybody, to the weekend. Before we jump into our message, let me tell you about a great opportunity coming up that some of you may be interested in. Last year, I was going to take a group to Israel with me, but because of COVID, we postponed it until April, and then we postponed it again. Now, we're quite confident that it's going to happen on October 10th through the 21st. Israel is actually beginning to receive tourists in May, so we feel good about this. And so if you would like to grab one of those open spots, just email me at pastordale at wooddale.org, and I would love to have you come along. We'll get you that information, all right? Now, next weekend, we start out a brand new sermon series called Creed. You do not want to miss that. I'm going to be talking to you about some of the things that are under attack in our faith that we cannot compromise on or let go of. They are essential creeds to who we are as Christians. They're under attack from both outside and inside the church. So you don't want to miss that series. I think it's essential for you, for your family, and for our church. But this weekend, I want to talk about prayer. You see, with what's going on locally, regionally, and around our world, there's never been a time that I can think of where we've needed to get on our knees and truly, truly connect with God in prayer and see God do a great move and a great work first in his church and outside of his church. But unfortunately, a lot of people struggle with the whole issue of prayer. I want to tell you a story about a man named Andrew Wilson. Andrew is an author. He wrote a book called The Life You Never Expected. He tells about how one day he was flying into Queensland, New Zealand. He was on an Air New Zealand flight. And as they approached the airport, the plane got actually kind of hung up in a wind tunnel between two high mountain ranges. And he said the plane just began to shudder and shake and drop like 50 feet at a time. Passengers were panicking, afraid, and crying out to God, which he said was very interesting because he realized that many of those passengers really didn't even know God, and yet they were crying out to God. As you probably heard it said, there are not very many atheists in foxholes, and there probably aren't too many atheists in planes that are descending quickly and being buffeted by the winds. Well, when the plane finally landed 30 minutes later, everybody went to get their bags at the baggage carousel, and he said people just, you know, had kind of silly looks on their face, kind of embarrassment over the way they behaved and the things they had said in the cabin when the plane was shaking. And then he reflected on some of the prayers that he heard in the cabin. Prayers like, deliver us from evil, or save me, or help us, or forgive me my sins, or oh God, don't let me die. It's remarkable when our lives are in danger, right? When we're thinking this could be it, we suddenly get kind of spiritual, don't we? And it's not just those who believe in God who get spiritual. Even atheists oftentimes will pray in a crisis. Tim Keller, in his book on prayer, writes these words. He says, even deliberately non-religious people pray at times. Studies have shown that in secularized countries, prayer continues to be practiced not only by those who have no religious preference, but even by many of those who do not believe in God. One study found that nearly 30% of atheists pray sometimes, and another found that 17% of non-believers in God 
pray regularly. So imagine that. I remember years ago, Marcia, my wife, and I were visiting Lhasa in Tibet. We were looking at perhaps opportunities that God might provide for uh, helping believers who are there or to plant churches. While we were there, uh, we were touring the city, and I noticed these small, medium, and large shrines with prayer wheels. In fact, I, I took some pictures of them I wanted to share with you. Uh, here's kind of a, a smaller shrine. And then on the next picture, you get kind of a different angle. You see this woman walking by. And what they do is they spin the prayer wheels. And inside are, are scrolls, and on the scrolls are mantras. And it's believed that when you spin that wheel, it's the same thing as though you were saying the actual mantra. It is believed that when you spin that wheel, it releases the energy into the air, so to speak, so that the gods will, will hear, or the force that's out there will hear that prayer and possibly answer the prayer in your life. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, so where are you going with all of this, Pastor? What's the point? And the point is this. It is in all of us. Whether we believe in God or not, it is in all of us to want to connect to a power greater than ourselves. Now, as Christians, we believe that that power has been revealed to us. It is the God of the Bible. It is God. And God has been revealed to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who's made it possible for us, for you and me, to connect with God and particularly in prayer. Jesus makes it possible for those who put their faith in him and turn to him to have this deep communion with God. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes it. He says, so then, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Boy, that's really important for what we're going to talk about next weekend, all right? We got to hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do. Do you feel like you're under a test right now? Yet he did not sin. So he says, since Jesus is perfect, right? And we put our faith in him. He is the son of God. He says, so let us, because of who he is and what he's done for us, come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Notice the emphasis, gracious God. Not judging God, not condemning God, but our gracious God. Because all the judgment and condemnation was placed on Christ, I don't receive it. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So what an opportunity for us to be able to enter into the very presence of God. Yet despite all of that, let's just be really honest with each other. A lot of us struggle with prayer. I have struggled on and off with prayer in my own life. There are times when I feel like at the end of my prayer, I've just been talking to myself and not to God. There have been times when I have battled with a wandering mind all over the place and not focusing and not being there with God. And there are times when it just feels like a routine that I'm going through, a box that I'm checking off. Has prayer ever felt that way to you as you're watching and listening there in your home or your apartment or at one of our campuses? If you have people with you and you're looking around at each other, you know, are some of you nodding going, yep, been there, done that. Maybe you're in a season like that right now. Well, what I want to do is I want to encourage you. I want to I put a fire under you, so to speak. 
And I want to I challenge you to rediscover a freshness in prayer and understand that, that we need prayer today like we need air to breathe. We're in a situation where we need to be able to come before God and really lay hold of God, so to speak, through our prayers. And in a little while, I've asked Christine Noel, the director of our prayer ministries here at Wooddale, to join me and share with you ways that you can be equipped in prayer and ways you can minister in prayer. But before that happens, I want to share with you two things that I've been working on that I found very effective in helping me stay fresh and connected with God in my prayer life. And here's the first one. Effective prayer, I have discovered, is more about relationship than it is about technique. And I'm talking about a relationship with God. Effective prayer is more about my relationship with God than it is about you know, eyes closed, head bowed, hands folded, on my knees, off my knees, arms outstretched, or, you know, whatever that might look like. Now, if those things are part of it, that can be important, but what prayer is all about, this relationship that I have with God. And listen to how this relationship is described. Ephesians chapter three, it says, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power, think of the power of God, right? He called everything into being that is. His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, where is this power? Is God's power behind some cosmic cloud up high somewhere? Is it hidden? Is it far from us? Do we have to do mantras to to be able to break through and get through to God? Where is God? Where is this power? Paul says this power is within us. Think about that. My relationship with God is not a relationship with the God who is out there on the other side of the universe. My relationship with God is, is this God who is present in here. The form and the presence of his Holy Spirit, which I don't understand the whole mystery. But Paul reminds us that Christ indwells us. The Spirit is in us. So when I'm praying, I'm not praying to myself, but I am praying to the God who is present both without and also within my life. He's here. He's with me. Henry Nouwen, uh, who passed away some years ago, uh, did a lot of writing on contemplative prayer. And while I don't agree with everything Nouwen writes, there's a lot of things that he's written that I really, really enjoy. And this next paragraph that I want to share with you has is, is really grabbed my attention when I think about the power of prayer and the presence of God. Listen to what he says. He says, to pray, I think, does not mean to think about God in contrast to thinking about other things or to spend time with God instead of spending time with other people. Rather, it means to think and live in the presence of God who lives in me. He goes on and he says, as soon as we begin to divide our thoughts into thoughts about God and thoughts about people and events, we remove God from our daily life. Although it is indispensable for the spiritual life to set apart time for God and God alone, prayer can only become unceasing prayer when all our thoughts 
beautiful or ugly, high or low, proud or shameful, sorrowful or joyful, can be thought in the presence of God, can be thought of in the presence of God. In other words, what Nowen is saying is don't compartmentalize God. You know, don't put God over in this little part of your life and, you know, someone you think about before you go to bed at night and maybe when you wake up in the morning and when, you know, you're in church. By the way, I just want to encourage those of you who are ready to come back and join us live at one of our campuses. We'll continue to have a great online ministry as well, but we'd love to have you back. We'd love to have you back. Paul is saying, what Nowen is saying is understand and recognize the presence of God that is in you and with you always. Henry Nowen goes on and he says something else that I think is very significant. He says it's important for us to make sure that we take all those unceasing thoughts. And I really like that phrase because my goodness, my head is so filled with thoughts. It feels like day and night. How about yours? He says, the secret is to take all those unceasing thoughts and turn them into unceasing prayer. And I love that. And I've been practicing that more so than ever. Because we have all kinds of thoughts in our minds. We have negative thoughts, critical thoughts, sorrowful thoughts, ugly thoughts, bad thoughts. You know, 50% of our thoughts are negative. That's what, that's what the scientists tell us, the researchers tell us. We tend to drift toward negativity. So instead of letting that you know, ambush and, and soak up our time and our minds and our lives, take every one of those thoughts, take them captive and turn them into prayers. So you know, you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and right away you have a bad thought toward them. Turn it into a prayer. I'm serious. God, I, I want to yell at this person or do worse, but you know, Father, I don't know what's going on in their life. I just lift them up to you and I pray if they don't know you, they would come to know you. Keep them safe, Lord, and keep the people around them safe. Seriously. Or Lord, I'm battling this temptation right now, this lust right now, this desire right now. It's not right. So Lord, I'm walking away from it. And, and I just pray, help me to keep walking away from it. God, give me strength to overcome this. Or Lord, I'm feeling, I'm feeling lonely right now. I'm feeling empty. I, I, I just wish I had someone to, to sit down and talk with God. But I'm not going to let this loneliness get to me, God. I thank you that you're with me here. I'm just going to be still in your presence. And Lord, um, Help me to find the right people to connect with. Whatever your situation is, God, I'm struggling right now with the sickness or, or with chemo, I'm in cancer, God, and, and I just, I'm overcome by it, but Lord, I know you can use me here. So Lord, uh, you're introducing me to people I've never met before, nurses and doctors and other patients. Let me show them the love of Christ. Do you see how I'm taking those unceasing thoughts and I'm turning them into unceasing prayers? And I encourage you to think that way. You truly begin to change your perspective. If you're watching the news, you see all that negativity, negativity, turn it into a prayer. If you're talking to somebody who's just totally discouraged with what's happening or they're angry with what's happening, find a way to pray for them silently. Find a way to turn that into an into a unceasing prayer before God. We need to be doing this individually as families and as a church. We need to practice this and watch God work. Number two, all right? The second thing I've discovered is that effective prayer does not rely on my emotions. And that's one of the areas that probably challenges me the most because I tend to let my feelings 
guide my life, control my life, and that's just unhealthy and not good. But our feelings are such a part of us, right? They're a visceral part of our lives. You know, I think uh, Yoda was wrong when he told young uh, Luke Skywalker that if he really wanted to be in touch with the force to search his feelings, the worst thing you can do is search your feelings. If you want to connect with God, the true living God, you got to do it by faith. You got to do it by faith. But you know, sometimes my feelings are like naughty children. How about yours? You know, like when you're someplace and you have young kids, or you can remember when you had young kids, or you've observed young kids, and their parents are like, could you just stand here for a moment? I've got to do this. And then they run off, and then the parent has to go and retrieve them and bring them back. That's how my emotions are, especially when it comes to prayer. And years ago, I came across this article by J. Sidlow Baxter. He's a pastor who lived long ago. And um, I, I love the article. It, it talked about the day my emotions joined me in prayer. I've never forgotten it, and I want to share it with you. And I normally don't read long passages to you, but I want to read this for you because it just is creative, and secondly, it just, it just nails it, the struggle that we all have. And I want you to see, and I want you to listen, and then maybe afterwards you can have a discussion with some people about what you learned from J. Sidlow Baxter. So he talks about how as a young minister, he decided he was going to be the best Methodist Baptist pastor that's ever been. He's going to have his whole theology laid out, his daily disciplines laid out, and he's going to spend an hour in prayer every single day. But pretty soon he found out that the demands of ministry made it hard. There were so many things that were overwhelming him. His church was growing so fast. It's like, how do I keep this prayer time? He's so tempted to ignore it. He was struggling with it, and that led him to write this article. Here we go. Ready? He says, then it came to a crisis. At a certain time one morning, I looked at my watch. According to my plan, for I was still bravely persevering, I was to withdraw for an hour of prayer. I looked at my watch, and it said, time for prayer, Sid. But I looked at my desk, and there was a miniature mountain of correspondence. And conscience said, you have to answer those letters. So as we say in Scotland, I swithered, I vacillated. Shall it be prayer or shall it be letters? Yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And while I was swithering, a velvety little voice began to speak in my inner consciousness. Look here, Sid, what's all this bother? You know very well what you should do. The practical thing is to get to those letters and get them answered. You can't afford time for prayer this morning. Get those letters answered. But I was still swithering. And the voice began to reinforce what it had said. It said, look here, Sid. Don't you think the Lord knows all the busy occupations which are taking your time? You're converted. You're born again. And you're in the ministry. People are crowding in. You're seeing so many conversions. Doesn't that show just how pleased God is with you? And even if you can't pray, don't worry too much about it. Look, Sid, you better face up to it. You're not one of the spiritual ones. 
I don't want to use extravagant phrases, but if you had plunged a dagger into my chest, it couldn't have hurt me more. Sid, you're not one of the spiritual ones. I'm not the introspective type. But that morning, I took a good look into Sidlow Baxter, and I found that there was an area of me that did not want to pray. I had to admit it. It didn't want to pray. But I looked more closely, and I found that there was a part of me that did. The part that didn't was the emotions, and the part that did was the will. Suddenly, I found myself asking Sidlow Baxter, are you going to let your will be dragged about by your changeful emotions? And I said to my will, Will, are you ready for prayer? And Will said, here I am, I'm ready. So Will and I set off for prayer. But the minute we turned our footsteps to go and pray, all my emotions began to talk. We're not coming, we're not coming. And I said to Will, Will, can you stick it? Must be a Scottish way of saying things. And Will said, yes, if you can. So Will and I, we dragged off those wretched emotions and we went to pray and stayed an hour in prayer. If you had asked me afterwards, did you have a good time? Do you think I could have said yes? A good time? No, it was a fight all the way. What I would have done without the companionship of Will, I don't know. In the middle of the most earnest intercessions, I suddenly found one of the principal emotions way out on a golf course, playing golf. And I had to run to the golf course to say, come back. And a few minutes later, I found another of the emotions. It had traveled one and a half days into the future. And it was in the pulpit preaching a sermon I had not even yet prepared. And I had to say, come back. I certainly couldn't have said we had a good time. It was exhausting, but we did it. The next morning came. I looked at my watch and it was time. I said to Will, come on, Will, it's time for prayer. And all the emotions began to pull the other way. And I said, Will, can you stick it? And Will said, yes. In fact, I think I'm stronger after the struggle yesterday morning. So Will and I went at it again. The same thing happened. Rebellious, tumultuous, uncooperative emotions. If you had asked me, have you had a good time? I would have had to tell you with tears, no. The heavens were like brass. It was a job to concentrate. I had an awful time with the emotions. This went on for about two, maybe three weeks. But Will and I stuck it out. Then one morning during that third week, I looked at my watch and I said, Will, it's time for prayer. Are you ready? And Will said, yes, I'm ready. And just as we were going in, I heard one of my chief emotions say to the others, Come on, fellas, there's no use wearing ourselves out. They'll go on whatever we do. That morning, we didn't have any hilarious experience of wonderful visions with heavenly voices and raptures. But Will and I were able with less distraction to get on with praying. And that went on for another two or three weeks. In fact, Will and I had begun to forget the emotions. I would say, Will, are you ready for prayer? And Will replied, yes, I am always ready. Suddenly, one day, while Will and I were pressing our case at the throne of the glory of the heavenly one, one of the chief emotions shouted, hallelujah! And all the other emotions suddenly shouted, amen! For the first time, the whole territory 
of James Sithel Baxter was happily coordinated in the exercise of prayer. And God suddenly became real and heaven was wide open and Christ was there and the Holy Spirit was moving. And I knew that all the time God had been listening. Now the point is this. The validity and the effectuality of prayer are not determined or even affected by the subjective psychological condition of the one who prays. The thing that makes prayer valid and vital and moving and operative is my faith takes hold of God's truth. And I just love that article because it speaks so powerfully to the challenge we all face. You can't let your emotions drive your life. They'll drive you crazy. We have to practice faith. And you know what happens? When I practice faith, when I just come before God, regardless of what my emotions are doing, eventually they join me. And those are those holy, hallowed moments when God's spirit moves and works profoundly. I've had it happen time and time again in my life. And I always look forward to it. But in between, I keep the discipline of prayer. How about you? Don't let your emotions run you. One last thought, and that is this. Number three, effective prayer happens when it becomes the culture of Christ's church and we involve ourselves. Effective prayer happens when it becomes the culture of the church, when we all come together and we all together involve ourselves in this powerful gift that God has given us, a communication and prayer with him. I want to draw your attention to something Jesus said about his house. Over here it says in Matthew chapter 21, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. If you look up the context of that passage, Jesus spoke this when he was in the temple and it had been turned into a den of thieves. It was all about business, selling and buying animals. It was all about, you know, uh, changing money over and actually cheating the people in the process. And it made him righteously angry. He chased them out. He said, my house, God's house is a house of prayer. And when I hear him say that, I think in terms of today, I hear Jesus say, my church, my church is not to be a house of great preaching. It's to be a house of great prayer. And not a house of great teaching and great teachers, a house of prayer, not a house of music, of modern music and traditional music, but a house of prayer, not a house of missions, but a house of prayer. And those things are all important. Don't get me wrong. But primarily says it needs to be a house of prayer. Why? Because in prayer, we connect with God. Folks, we so desperately need to connect with God in the deepest way these days. So I'm calling you, I'm challenging you to step up your prayer life, to get serious about your prayer life, because if you care about yourself, if you care about your family, if you care about this nation, you're going to learn to spend more time on your knees. And the good news is this. Wooddale Church is here. We are here to help equip you and encourage you in prayer. And to get a taste of that, I want you to watch this video and see what God's doing around and through Whitdale Church when it comes to prayer.
We know that prayer is important. It's talking with our Creator. It's one of the best ways to stay close in relationship with Him. We know this, yet we still have to be intentional when it comes to building a culture of prayer. Revelation 5 gives us a beautiful description of unified prayer and worship around God's throne. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. God's ultimate plan for his people when we reach eternity is that we will be unified in prayer and worship. In a city like ours, in a neighborhood like ours, where you've got uh, students distracted with their program and their profession, and you've got uh, young professionals and other adults who are just trying to make it through all the craziness of life, it is enough challenge to try to introduce people to Jesus as it is. And so we rely on the power of prayer to reach them and show them the hope that we find in Jesus. One thing that I have seen come from this culture of prayer is just recognizing that women are leading each other in how to pray. We're seeing that it's trickling down to our families. We're gaining the confidence to pray over our children. As we stretch to grow deeper in our personal prayer life, we are being used by God to help others grow in theirs. Whether it's a mom teaching her kids to pray, a mentor teaching another woman in a one-on-one situation, or through open prayer in our Bible study groups. What God is pouring into us is pouring out through us to others to grow a culture of prayer. Each of us have been uniquely made. We're all living stones. The great news is that the Lord has gifted each of us. As sons and daughters, we each have unique gifts. And we can see those gifts, understand those gifts, and learn those gifts and how God has uniquely wired us. And we can pray into that. So we're seeing God equipping us, the Holy Spirit empowering us, in such a way that we're energized and we're, we're going out and reaching people. The Holy Spirit is powerful. I'm telling you that he energizes, he equips, he encourages, he leads, he guides. The Holy Spirit teaches us how to pray. God's designing his global house of prayer, one living stone at a time. It's a house of salvation, healing, provision, reconciliation, and restoration. It's full of power and purpose. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that video. It tells a great story of how God is at work through prayer ministry here at Whitdale Church. And right now, it's my uh, privilege to introduce to you our Director of Prayer Ministry. This is Christine Noel. And uh, Christine, you've done such a great job really instilling a deeper sense of the importance of prayer here at Whitdale Church, and especially for a time like this. I mean, if we've ever needed to be praying and really approaching the throne of God and laying hold of God, so to speak, it's in these days. I'm so thankful for the ways that people can learn how to pray and also for the opportunities of prayer to see changed hearts and changed lives. Now, one of the things, Christine, that you brought to us is this whole idea of culture of prayer. So talk to us, how are we building a culture of prayer at Wooddale Church? That's a great question. And I would say the short answer is one living stone at a time. And we learned in your message that God calls his house a house of prayer for all nations. And then we learn in 1 Peter 2.5 that he says we as believers are being built into a spiritual house 
a royal priesthood of believers, of praying people. And in that, we each have a unique shape and way that we're wired by God to pray. And this is a privilege, I would say, and a responsibility we have to be part of that house, to play our part in that house of prayer and to know how he's uniquely made us for that. And I love this whole concept of God has shaped us to pray. You know, we've been talking about God's purpose in our lives, how he's shaped us to carry out a certain purpose. And uh, you've adapted that to prayer. So talk to us a little bit about how we can discover how God has shaped us to pray. Yeah, so we start with Mm -hmm. the S, which is spiritual gifts. And you may have a gift of evangelism, let's say. And if you have that gift, you probably have a burden to pray for people who don't yet know Jesus. Mm -hmm. Or you might have a gift of mercy. And you'll see that come out in your prayer life just by the compassion and heart you have to pray for somebody who's really in need. Mm -hmm. And all the gifts will come out in our prayer life just like they do in other parts of our life. And I think that's so important for me to know that, but it's also important for everybody else to be aware of what their shape is and for us to kind of know about each other. Because you know, sometimes when you want someone to pray over you and it's a mercy situation, it's even more powerful when that's their gift, right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. because they just have a deeper sense of how to pray. So that's why it's so important that we all understand uh, what our shape is. Well, continue. Yeah, and so then we have the H is heart passions, and we know the Bible gives us a lot of topics to pray into that really we all need to be praying for. In addition to that, though, he's also usually given us maybe two or three things that we're particularly passionate about Mm. to pray into. It could be a cause or a people group or something that he's really put deep in our heart that we pray into. And then I've noticed that we also get a heart for yes. what we pray for as yeah. well. It kind of works both yeah, ways. True. Good. And then the assignments, what's that all about? Yeah. So I've changed the abilities that you probably saw in the shape assessment to assignments because it, when it comes to knowing God in our prayer life, fortunately, it doesn't go by our ability. Right. It doesn't matter how eloquent we are or how loud we pray. We can just pray the way that he has given us a burden to pray. And so okay. for one season, you might want to pray for one of your kids more than another sure. or your job or you're in transition or you're praying for something that's going on in the world. And then that burden lifts and the season changes yeah. and you get a different yeah. assignment or assignments to yeah. pray into. I love that because it just makes the relationship with God so dynamic when I'm aware that God is actually, you know, going to give me an assignment. It's like I'm waiting, right? And then he lifts and he gives, you know, he maybe he gives a different assignment. And that's just that whole idea, you know, Henry Blackaby talked about experiencing God. And when we open ourselves up and we're aware of our shape, we can experience God so much more. So personality. Yeah. And so also then our personality factors in. If you're more extroverted, you might like to lead a large corporate prayer meeting. And if you're more introverted, you might like praying on your own at home and the other parts of your personality will come into play in your prayer life as well. All right. And then finally, we have experiences. Yeah. So this one, I think people can grab a hold of pretty easily. Our life experiences, whether good or bad, certainly impact our prayer mm-hmm. life. I love Romans eight twenty eight mm-hmm. that God works everything together yes. for good. Yes. And so whether we've had a tough, challenging time that we were really 
crying out to God mm-hmm. about, or we've seen a lot of fruitfulness in our spiritual yeah. life and we're full of praise and thanksgiving, we have our life experiences that factor into how yeah. we pray as well. Now, this is really great. So, Christine, if people want to find out more about how they can be equipped to pray as well as uh, minister in prayer, where would they go? Yeah, so they can go to wooddale.org slash prayer. And there's one part on that page I want to point out, and that is under the group section, there's a new six-session interactive class on there called Teach Us to Pray. We have the first session up there right now, and we'll have a total of six. And you can do this with... uh, in a mentor-mentee situation or your life group or your family or with your friends. And it's a great way to know your shape for prayer, but also to overcome those common barriers a lot of people have to a thriving prayer life and to know how to help other people grow in prayer. Awesome. So I uh, I hope you will all check out the website go to the section on prayer and just look at all the ways, again, you can grow in your understanding of prayer and then be involved in prayer as well. Now, Christine, there's a great opportunity coming up very soon uh, for the body of Christ to be in prayer. It's our national day of prayer, and we're going to do it both live here, but we'll have it live cast as well. So tell us about that, please. Yeah, so we know in Second Chronicles 7.14, it says, If my people, that's us as believers, mm. who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their yeah. wicked ways, then God will hear from heaven, will forgive our sins, and yes. will heal our land. Yes. And we need prayer now more than ever. Yes. Our nation needs yeah. prayer. We need everybody praying for our nation. And this is a great opportunity to come together together on May 6th from noon to one o'clock. We'll be in the great room at Eden Prairie, and you can also tune in via live stream. And we just hope everybody will join together that day in prayer. Yeah, Christy, I've been thinking a lot about this. And today when I was uh, praying, uh, just kind of a continual sense of prayer, the phrase that kept coming to me uh, over and over again was, was turn to God, turn to God. And that's what needs to happen, uh, not just in the secular world around us, but the church. We as believers need to turn back to God again, because I think so many in this last season have gotten their eyes off of, of the Lord. And so National Day of Prayer is not just going to be about our nation, but it's also going to be really about you know the church. Uh, because until we're in a place where God can move and work freely through us, our prayers to the nation isn't going to help a whole lot. First, his house has to get in order. So a big and a very important time. And uh, Christine, with that, I'd like to ask you to close us in prayer, please. I'd love to. Thank you. Father, I so agree with Pastor Dale, and I ask you to help us to turn to you wholeheartedly in this season. Lord, I ask you to remove anything that's hindering our love relationship with you and that love flowing out to other people in the times that we're in. Lord, I pray that you will show each living stone, each believer at Wooddale, how you have made them to pray and that you will build your house of prayer here, build your culture of prayer, that, it can, that we can see your tangible impact through our communities. And we thank you and we praise you in advance, Lord, yes. for what you're doing in the seen and the unseen and for your faithfulness to us through the generations. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Christine.